Willkommen, Venner, to Kvasir's Corner, your gateway to the Viking Age. As always, my name is Jacob, and joining me today are Jason and Dan. Uh, folks, thanks for coming on. I'm uh, grateful that you're you're willing to talk to me today. This uh, should be a good time. I'm getting paid for this, right? <laughs> Probably not. No, we'll see oh, if what? people. Yeah, we'll see if people even like the show. Oh, um, but anyway, so Jason, people know who you are. You were with us last week. Uh, so Dan, why don't you go ahead and uh, just kind of tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where they've heard your voice before or uh, anything like that. Sure. I'm Dan, uh, also known as Arn, also known as Vidar. I've been with the encampment, so you possibly have seen me out at Fest. I've also am doing the Hell or High Water uh, D&D podcast, which you should totally go like, comment, and subscribe on later. Mm-hmm. But you probably heard me there. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, I love that show. That makes my Fridays when that comes out. So definitely, folks, go listen to that. It's a lot, a lot of fun. They get into a lot of shenanigans and stuff like that. <laughs> Very true. But, yes. Uh, so before we delve into the, the topic of the day, social media plug time. Got to do it. So as always, and as you all know, this podcast is presented by the Viking Encampment. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Viking Encampment. And you can find us on Twitter and TikTok at Viking Encamp MN. Now, if you enjoy um, programs such as Kvasser's Corner or Hell or High Water or have seen us in, in person when in-person stuff happened and want to you know, support us financially or see us expand and do different things, uh, please consider uh, supporting us on Patreon. Uh, we have a Patreon. I believe it's under Viking Encampment. Uh, so go on there. We've got a lot of um, uh, tier levels and uh, different different uh, bonuses and things for for all of that. I believe the the five dollar tier level gives you um, early access to Hell or High Water episodes. If that's correct, Dan, I might be wrong. I believe so. Yeah. So uh, yep. please consider uh, supporting us that way. We would really appreciate that. And if money, so, and if you don't want to spend money a free way that you can really help us out is just going on to whatever platform you get your podcast from and liking us subscribing to us or commenting on it it helps boost the algorithms and helps expand us into more people's things so that's a great free way of also helping us really promote our product exactly yeah so if you enjoy it spread the word uh this or hell or high water all of it um it's all good stuff so just consider doing that from the bottom of your heart we appreciate that. Or the top. So, We're not picky. Yeah. From somewhere. Somewhere in our yeah. bowels. It's fine. Bowels. No, no, no. You keep the bowels to yourself. We don't need to share that. Uh, so anyway, um, today's topic, we will be talking about some, some theories, some speculations about why the Viking raids started in the first place. Now, there's a lot of, you know, conjecture, a lot of stuff going on, and it's important to kind of realize that we will probably never know the exact reason because the Vikings never put in runes, never put on a rune stone. We went raiding for this purpose. You know, we, we probably won't ever know. So we just get to have fun and speculate based on history, based on archeology, span based on other accounts, um, on why, why we believe the Vikings left their homelands of Scandinavia and went out to, 
conquer and explore and trade with the rest of the world. So that is what we get to talk about today. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, um, Jason and Dan, kind of what your perception is of why the raids raids started. Um, you know, what, what have you heard? What have you thought about why, um, why, why this happened back in 793 with the first sort of raids? I guess a lot of mine just comes from popular culture. So, you know, uh, wine, women, and wealth, so to speak, meat, <laughs> women, and wealth, and uh, um, possibly farmlands, which doesn't make a lot of sense since they didn't stay there. But it it is something that I've heard talked uh, when people talk about the Vikings is just better farming in more southern climates. Um, but I always had just assumed that it was for for gold and glory. Yeah, there, there is definitely, you know, there was definitely the, um, kind of monetary aspect of it. Uh, you know, they went out and to get wealth, uh, to, to, um, in whatever form they could to get wealth and glory. That was, was an aspect of it, um, for sure. But, you know, it's hard to say if that was the reason. And again, we, there probably isn't, there probably isn't a, the reason probably a multitude of reasons combined together um, from different um, different locations as well, because the Vikings were not culturally kind of one one nation, as we talked about last uh, last episode. So motivations would have been different uh, regionally. Uh, you know, uh, a Dane might have a different Norwegian. Wow. I'm going to pause. A Dane might have a different Norwegian. Yeah, that, <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna cut that out. No, so, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> so a Dane might have a different motivation awesome. than a, a Norwegian or a Swede for for why they why they would leave. But yes, gold um, was definitely, I would say, a very strong strong part of it. Um, but what what about you, Dan? What have you kind of heard and and understood about why the raid started? They've heard many different theories as to why they've done it. And uh, honestly, I think the the popular conception of wealth is the, if I had to only narrow it down to one reason, it would be that they left their home to go find wealth. But when you look at that and try and apply it to an actual people, like why you or I would go out on such a quest, I think you can find a lot more like real answers, so to speak, as opposed to just the pop culture version of it. So they did leave to go find wealth, but there was a reason they had to go leave their country in order to find this one specific form of wealth. Yeah, exactly. There were, <clears throat> excuse me, there were a lot of um, different push pull factors for why they would leave and where they went. Um, besides just kind of a blanket need to find gold, you know, where's the gold? We'll go everywhere to find it. Uh, there, it was more premeditated. I don't know if that's the correct way to, to say that, but more, yeah, more they chose very specific targets, at least in the initial raids, they chose very specific places because they contained for the most part, very specific things they were looking for. Yeah. Yep. Now, was that 
Go ahead. Was that because of what was there, or was it because those targets seem like easy places to get it? Correct. Yes, and that actually <laughs> plays that actually plays into uh, one of the kind of big three theories as to why the raid started. Um, so in the the early raids, the first quote unquote first, there are records and evidence of there being earlier ones. But the one that's given as the start of the Viking Age is the raid on the monastery at Lindisfarne in northern England in 793 CE. Um, and then following that, uh, raids on other monasteries in Scotland and Ireland. So the first raids were definitely focused on raiding monasteries. And so because of that, uh, a theory has been developed, uh, which I'll just say off the bat, to me is iffy. Um, you know, there just doesn't seem to be enough kind of cultural understanding for it to, to work. But the theory is that the early raids were retaliatory actions by Vikings um, against Christian kingdoms such as um, Charlemagne's empire in France and Germany. Um, and he, uh, Charlemagne was expanding his empire from modern-day France into modern-day Germany, which at the time was still Norse pagan or Germanic pagan. And as he was conquering Germany, he would force conversions uh, on the, the Saxon Germans who, who lived there, um, and then oftentimes would execute them uh, even after they had converted. We converted. <laughs> oh, just kidding. No, we didn't. All right, you're all dead. Yay. You're all dead. Bye. Uh, but yeah, so the, the theory the theory states that as Charlemagne pushes into old Germania and subjugates the, the Norse pagan, Germanic pagan peoples there, that the interconnected Germanic Nordic world um, wanted to kind of take retaliation against Christians for this attack against um, them and their faith. And so the do theory know, is, what's that? Do we know where the Vikings that attacked Lindisfarne came from? The uh, general theory that I'm aware of was somewhere from Norway. Yes. But I could be yeah. wrong. Yep, that's the that's the general consensus is they came from probably the western fjord area of Norway. Um, so that that's all, all we really all we really have is, is that. Um, and that that's part of why the the theory that it's retaliatory against Christianity is problematic because as you know when we were talking about this before we started recording as Dan said you know the the Norwegians probably wouldn't have cared overly much about if the Germanics or the the Danes were facing threats from from Charlemagne um you know religiously or not um because I think it's a good thing to point out at this time, there was mm -hmm. no unified Norway, nor for that matter. Denmark was, I think, quicker to come into the fold as a unified country, but even they were still, for the most part, just little petty kingdoms here and there kind of interspersed. So I, I agree. I don't really think this that theory holds a lot of weight because mm -hmm. there wasn't this, you know, do it for the motherland sort of yeah. mentality. Yeah, I was exactly. there at that point, so I I I don't exactly. agree with this theory all yeah. that much. Yeah, 
you know, there there is some question about how strong cultural affinity was uh, for for the Vikings, even if not, it, you know, they didn't have a sense of nation. Uh, as, as you said, Dan, that's correct. The The question is, was there a sense of cultural affinity or religious affinity that, oh, this is an affront to Odin or Thor or what we believe, so we need to go on basically a Viking crusade? I don't think there's enough basis for that to be true. So I... I, I yeah, because they converted to Christianity just a, you know, quote-unquote scant 200 years later. Most of yes. Norway was already quote uh, a christian thing so um mm-hmm. i i think the vikings are an adaptable people and this thought of that belief system over there is bad because it's not mine i i don't i don't see a lot of evidence of them being exactly like that yes yeah i agree it's it's tinged in 21st century understanding of when religions meet and that's <laughs> that's also- problem just looking at a map and like Germany to London is much closer than uh, say Hamburg to Oslo. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think that it seems like the, the Saxons you said that were in Northern German mm-hmm. Germany at yep. the time. Yep. If anything could have easily been in more communication along the, the continent than across the North sea up to Norway. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. That's actually a very good point. I haven't considered uh, considered that before. But there would have it probably would have been easier to to have that kind of intercontinental communication instead of from continental Europe up to to Norway or Sweden or things like that. You know, not saying that it was impossible. Probably just harder to do. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. That I haven't considered before. Um, Point for Jason. All right. There Point we go. for Jason. He's he's doing great on these episodes. You're oh, I'm just it, curious. <laughs> um, so that that's uh, one one theory is the religious war theory for Viking raids. Which uh, you know, if you I don't know, I I wouldn't put stock in that too much. But the the second one which is also problematic, but has probably a little bit more basis, is the medieval warm period theory. And what this theory says is that during the the early part of the Viking Age, the global climate was in what was called the medieval warm period. So global temperatures were a bit higher, growing seasons were a bit longer, um, you know, food production therefore was better. And as you get increased food production, you get increased in population because people are alive because they can eat. Um, So as that happens. Yeah, that's how it happens. People eat and then babies show up, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing in in between. Nothing in between there. This is a family show. Nothing in between there. (laughs) It does seem like that might even be a greater factor on uh, places that are on the edge of growing um ranges if you can barely get something and then suddenly you get you're getting a lot of food it seems like it could make a huge difference yeah how long did that warm period last um off the top of my head i believe it lasted until the the 1200s 1200s 1300s 
So for a majority of the early medieval period, um, and then when you're getting into the late 13th into the 14th hundreds, uh, it starts to cool off a little bit. Um, Ice sheets start to come down from the north um, further than they had in in a while. Uh, I'm trying to think. The Vinland, does the Vinland Saga talk about that? Well, Vinland Saga is another topic uh, for, for another day. But so there's this long period of, you know, good growing seasons, food is plentiful, populations explode. And so when you're looking at relatively hostile locations such as, you know, Norway, very mountainous, very um, kind of rough terrain for growing, the valuable regions. growing, what was that? Full of Norwegians. Full of Norwegians, yep. Uh, yeah, there, there just wasn't enough land to go around as this theory says. So, you know, inter interfighting between farms and clans and kingdoms would happen. Um, and instead of kind of continuing that infighting, the, the Vikings of these locations would look outward and try to find new places to, to farm or to set up livelihoods or to get wealth uh in gold or trade or, or whatever. So that's the the medieval warming period, <clears throat> medieval warming slash population explosion um theory, which I think has a bit more a uh, bit more credibility to it just because you know there's scientific evidence that, that supports that that food production increased and that there was a slight population boom. Um so this this one seems more legit to me. Um, I think parts of this one seem more legit, but the part that doesn't make sense, like I know there's been historical evidence to show, like what is the actual term, but like they've dug up graves and they've actually looked at sites and they've determined that the people living there were living in relative comfort. They had enough food, like when they dug through the <laughs> outhouse pits mm -hmm. they've found and they've actually analyzed that people during that time frame typically had enough food they were able to do stuff mm -hmm. the stuff looked all right but to me if everything's golden or no <clears throat> what they also found though is there wasn't a ton of like it didn't look like people were starving because they didn't have food at that time frame mm -hmm. so to say that the population got too big and they had to send it away i'm like uh, maybe but when they initially started the raids, they didn't set up shop, so to speak, until quite a few years later in those lands. They just went over there to pillage, basically. So I, I don't know. This one to me I, sounds makes a little bit more sense than the first theory, but still doesn't thing, to me really explain it. One thing I'm struggling with is um, it seems like based on other areas we know of human history, uh, when resources get short, neighbors start fighting neighbors a lot. And to get to the point where you either cooperate enough with your neighbors to send out a raid or uh, feel safe enough that you can send all your fighting men on an expedition rather than making sure the next farm over doesn't come over and take all your stuff, um, seems like there has to be almost a, some sort of either unifying factor or external factor that is 
making them feel like they can be safe together to go out and do this kind of thing. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, <clears throat> it, it, it makes sense that. So, so what you're kind of saying is that there would pro probably be a little bit more uh, unification at the time so that everyone would not keep their fighting men at home, but send them out to, to gain wealth instead of protect the home, the homestead. Yeah. There's gotta be something that, uh, decreased the sort of, you know, neighbor to neighbor warfare or the clan to clan warfare that must have existed if that we were dealing with a population boom. Yeah. That's... So I think I, one thing to remember at this stage of the thing, there was no like, King Harold hadn't yet happened and unified Norway. Mm -hmm. I, most of my research has been focused on Norway, so I can only really speak to the, that group. But the way the people in charge were pet, <clears throat> petty kings or jarls, if you want to think of them that way. And the way that they maintained alliances, it wasn't just like I have divine authority from Odin to rule it was by showing generosity and you were very charismatic you gave to your followers you rewarded them for following you so i guess i'll kind of steal the segment a bit here and jump yeah. to my theory as to why these raids started it's kind of in two part they the petty king stayed in power by having gifts to give their followers and making sure everyone felt rewarded for following them well, in Norway, there is very little, like, silver and or precious metal mining, to my knowledge anyways. There wasn't a ton of that. Mm -hmm. And you can only give away so much land and or livestock, which were the two main sources of wealth in the day, before it all be gone and you just lose it. So they had to find, these leaders had to find ways to come up with a very mobile, disposable form of income, a la gold and treasure. You could easily divide that up, hand it out. It can, since it's uh, unique and rare, it's easy to show like, whoa, this guy has a lot of status. He gave me a gold arm ring as opposed to the twig Jason gave me. <laughs> I'm going to go follow him. So it was a very nice twig. Uh, well, yeah, it's not gold, though. Um, so like the leaders were incentivized to find all this easily transported divided up treasure so to speak so that was to me the reason why a leader would want you to do that but how the leader would to, would get this farmer because spoiler alert if no one's talked about it yet all vikings were farmers like mm. even the leaders had their own farm that's how people survived i'm sure there's an exception here or there that someone's going to flag me for but <laughs> By and large, they were all farmers. So how you got this farmer to say, you know what, I'm going to risk life, <laughs> literally life and limb, to go over and get something, it had to be valuable to them. Well, back in that day, my theory that I've heard a lot about, it's not necessarily mine, but was marriage was a big deal because uh, it wasn't like today's definition of marriage where you it's a, for romance. Marriage was more of a contract between two families i'll give you my son you give him your daughter and we'll exchange monies and stuff and now we have a contract and a binding thing between our two families so we won't go to war 
kind of speaking to the thing Jason said earlier. But when you were exchanging dowries and quite li- maybe you remember Jacob, but the name for marriage in Iceland, I think when he translated, it was literally bride price. Yes, mm. I'm blanking on the actual word, but yes, that, I'm glad that's... we're consistent because so am I. <laughs> Anywho, it was so what they would would do is they'd literally go, okay, this is a negotiation between the two of us. We don't really care about romance in this situation. We just need a family merger here, so we can maintain stuff. Well, if you were going to give the bride's family part of your land, you have to also remember back in that day, it was still possible for A, families to die off real quick because of disease, whatnot, and or divorce was common. And in the Viking culture, you could inherit, the kids could inherit from both their father's side and their mother's side. So if you gave your daughter away with a chunk of the that land though if they had kids and she died in childbirth the land that your ancestral land that you gave away with that could go to the other family and your family would be up shit creek without a paddle (laughs) so what they were often looking for in my opinion was a disposable wealth of oh cool we'll give you these 15 gold goblets as part of this price and or vice versa because if that's easy to pass down an in inheritance if we were to lose out on that, whatever. We still have our land. We don't have to worry about dividing up the sheep and goats. It's just easy easy money, so to speak, like that. So I think that's how they got a lot of the... The Jarls wanted the gold because it showed status, but it also, when they gave it to the farmers that went along with them, kind of prompted them to go, hey, look, I've now... I'm young. I just got a new gold bracelet that I can bring to the bargaining table and find, quote unquote, a better spouse and or marriage arrangement for my family, which will then in turn let me start my own family. Because prior to that, you didn't really go off on your own until you got married, as mm-hmm. I understand it. Yeah. No, you're you're spot on there, Dan. There was a lot of cultural cultural push factors for going out and returning with wealth. Um, if if the audience remembers uh, last episode, we talked about the establishment of the kind of warrior society after the fall of Rome and the, the power vacuum and all that. Um, and that is what you see carried into the Viking Age is a society built on on uh, warriors and rewarding warriors for their service. So the the kings, the jarls, the the petty chieftains would maintain their power through gift giving. Um, and that is how, how business was done on a smaller scale too. That was how families became bonded uh, in, in marriage and, and things like that. Those kind of kinship contracts were, were, were done through, through the transfer of wealth. And, you know, it's easier to transfer some, some gold coins or a gold gilded cross than it is to transfer, transfer some land. Uh, there's a lot less uh, risk of loss. Yep. In, that, in that trade. That's exactly what I was trying to, hopefully that came across, but that's, what, yeah, that's yeah, exactly I what you. I was saying. Yep. No, I, I got you perfectly. Uh, and so that, that's 
um, you know, that cultural aspect of needing wealth to kind of maintain your society or at least maintain your positions of power in that society is a major push factor uh, for, for Vikings to go out. Um, and especially at this time, it's funny, it's funny to think about because the Vikings kind of created this really prosperous um, trade network or at least helped facilitate it. Uh, so there was a lot of trade goods, valuable trade goods being transferred throughout the European world. Uh, you know, you've got gold and silver from the uh, the Arab caliphates in uh, the Middle East and Northern Africa. That's getting transferred into, um, you know, Francia and the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms uh, by way of Viking traders. And so there's this, this transfer of, um, uh, what's the word? Liquid assets. Is that, is that correct? It'll work. Uh, disposable, easy, transferable. Yeah, yeah. So gold. Gold, gold <laughs> and silver. And so there's this kind of influx of that into the European economy. And the Viking uh, fungible wealth. That's What's it. that? Fungible wealth. Yes, that's the one. Um, and so the Viking five dollar words. Five dollar words. <laughs> over here can't afford a gumball. <laughs> uh, so so the Vikings, being part of the these trade networks, see the value that's being brought into the European sphere, and you know since their society is built on funding uh their 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 strength they know where it is they know how to get it and so they go out and they take this new wealth to to grow their own power at home uh so yeah it's it's interesting that they had such a big part in creating the the wealth influx in europe at the time then they're like hey we want to keep more of this and so they, they just take it back um, so, a question I have about the sort of idea of all these sort of men going out to raid to get uh, for the Jarls money to give as gifts and for the um, farmers uh, money to earn their bride prices is my understanding is recently we've been finding out that uh, some of the Viking warriors were women. And what would their motivation have been? Huh, that's Probably. A... And in my opinion, the exact same thing, because Mm -hmm. whoever had the wealth, so to speak, um, made the rules. (laughs) So typically, like with going back to the thing, uh, there aren't a ton of examples of it. For the most part, women didn't have a say in marriage negotiations unless they've already been married and were either divorced or they're a widow Mm -hmm. then there's a lot more evidence of them being able to kind of negotiate away with stuff there was a really Mm -hmm. famous she went to vinland or uh, iceland un i think was her name yes yeah she was she was the best example that i can kind of draw on and say that she was able to negotiate all these new marriage alliances and stuff like that because she had a bunch of wealth and she was just a very charismatic leader from what the sagas say anyways. 
And so if you were a woman warrior and you were like, okay, I've already been widowed, but I've got one daughter that's needing to go off and I want them to be sad or I want to be a part of this better family, whatever have you. I, from what I've understood is if you could get on a longboat, be charismatic and hew some foemen, you could (laughs) get the treasure that would then allow you to have the same kind of negotiating power and be able to come to that table. That yes. makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there there is actually a very interesting account that I found um, just recently of um, a a woman uh, leading a raid in in Ireland. So not just taking part, but actually leading the thing. Uh, let me find in my notes where I wrote that down. So there's this uh, there's this Irish account of a, a raid by. Um, Norwegians, I believe it was the Norwegians. And this account talks about how this raid was led by, I cannot pronounce that Irish, but basically led by the red girl. So we would (laughs) assume someone with, you know, flowing red hair and and all that stuff. So are you saying that a lot of uh, Ireland is now predominantly red haired and (laughs) huh? It's hmm. funny. It's just a major coincidence, you know? Yeah, weird. It's Absolutely almost... not not related in any way. In shape just... or form to Vikings yeah. setting up shop in Dublin and mm. or the surrounding Irish areas. Exactly. No. But, Anywho. but yeah, uh, to, to your point, Jason, there there is evidence um, of, of women partaking in the raids as have been talked about in previous episodes and and all that. So I would assume that their motivation would be would be similar to uh, a, a man would go on a raid for. Um, you know, you you get wealth, you gain power, you move up in in uh, in society in that way. Um, maybe you become a, a, a sea king. Um, so someone who doesn't have a kingdom but has a large following of, of people and are able to to go and do more lucrative raids or, or trading, you know, wh- whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I, I would assume that the motivations would be similar, uh, regardless of gender, gender identity, or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call that. But cool. I'm totally going to have to do some reading about uh, Rusla or Ingenuru. <laughs> um, yeah. She sounds fascinating. Yeah. There, there's so many, so many fascinating, um, instances of, of tradition you know females and and women stepping into those traditional in quotes um masculine roles and really succeeding um in, in viking society and that's I'm gonna sure be sure i'm i'm saying it wrong but seriously go check out the saga of un her yeah. story is quite impressive yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great uh, narrative indeed. I would recommend it as well. Um, so I believe we're getting close to time here. So is there any kind of last minute questions or thoughts that um, we want to talk about on behalf of the the audience here on the the topic at hand? You had Wait, mentioned this- something about sailing technology. Ah, yes, yes. So uh, there. Uh, the third theory, the third kind of major theory, is that the development of the kind of clinker-built Viking ship that we all have an image of, that development of sailing technology 
allowed the Vikings to go out and uh, conduct their raids more successfully. Uh, and the inclusion of a sail uh, and, and a mast and a sailing ship instead of just a rowing ship um, allowed them to travel further and and conduct more raids, which to a point is is correct. You know, the the development of the Viking ship did definitely help the Viking Age begin. Um, but to say that it's the reason that the raids started, I think is too simplistic. Just because... Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, it's not... In my mind, this theory in one part makes sense, but it's not the reason the raids started. It's just the kind of the more the how they started or the reason they were able to start, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. Without these long ships, there's no way the Vikings could have got to Ireland, Iceland, and really expanded beyond their next door neighbors. So I think mm. it's the <laughs> vehicle it's... that started everything here <laughs> and allowed it to happen. But I think for the reasons why, you have to look at more of like, again, why did these farmers leave their homes to go risk everything to go do this and i think you have to look at the other theories that we present today to figure out the the, reasons why the means and opportunity but not the motive yeah yeah that's what i'd I'd agree with that because i mean to to put it in some semblance of a modern context what would we as nor you know kind of normal people would we see a humvee just park in a parking lot and be like, I'm going to go on a raiding expedition with this Humvee. I might, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm valid. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, but I think that's a good analogy. It's like, you can't just look, you, just because you have a technology doesn't mean, Oh, I instantly now know I want to go over there and do this. You, you typically need a reason internally as to why you're going to go do that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I hope that, um, we've been able to, if nothing else, stimulate some, some interest and intrigue in this topic so that you, the audience can, can look into it further on your own. We will share some resources in the description or the, the notes section again, wherever this podcast is being uploaded. I'm Neil sure Price. Been. He writes a lot. You should go yeah. check him out. Yep. Definitely Neil Price. He's very prolific. Uh, his new book is great. It's a touch, a touch on the academic side, so a bit wordy, but great book. Um, I, I enjoy it very much, and I would recommend looking into that as well. But uh, any kind of closing closing thoughts here, folks? This was all really interesting. Thank you. If you like this episode, please leave feedback so we can do stuff. If you have suggestions as to how we can make things better, please let us know. Otherwise, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it too. Right on. Well, thank you both for for being here today. I appreciate our conversation. And I appreciate you, the audience, for tuning in once again to Kavasir's Corner. So when are we going to put Kavasir here in the kettle and make some of this really good meat? That's what I want to (laughs) know.